Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset for this Queen's birthday holiday here uh, in New South Wales. I think most parts of Australia don't uh, quote me on that. There might be one or two places where it's not, but I believe it's pretty countrywide. Uh, Christy Doran, great to see you, mate. You're joining us from sunny Brisbane. Uh, hopefully the polar blast up there isn't too bad. It's not too bad, but I think you're mistaken that the first sentence you've, you've pretty much ushered out. It, I think it, it's just business as usual, I, I'm pretty sure, on a Monday here in Brisbane today. But we can look past that, um, you know, Queensland, where the sun does shine. It is certainly today cool at night, but um, look out, we're pretty much reversed. You've gone from Melbourne only a week ago for a Cambosis boxing fight. Here we are again, speaking about boxing, but up here on a Wednesday probably gives you a slight indication of the modern age of journalism where you're not always able to just cover the one sport. And um, yeah, so uh, not me, fortunately, taking to the uh, the heavyweight um, boxing bout this, this Wednesday, but um, good to catch up with a few different rugby types up here nonetheless, and hopefully getting in a couple of holes with the great Jim Tucker. Uh, fingers crossed on Wednesday. Even better, mate. Well done. Well, uh, yes, hopefully you and Jimmy will be uh, hitting him down the middle. Uh, let's get into the weekend. Uh, a fairly busy 48 hours for both Australian rugby and, uh, and New Zealand rugby as well with the naming of the uh, the All Blacks squad today. Wallabies were, of course, yesterday and we'll, we'll come to both of those shortly. But um, let's go to Saturday night, Christy, um, in Auckland, Eden Park, a graveyard for Australian rugby for many years now. Um but geez, it was close to uh, at last being a, a garden of even a garden of Eden. Sorry, for one team, the Brumbies, of course, are falling short, one point short, twenty points to nineteen. Uh, mate, it's hard to uh, not start anywhere but the finish, but the end. Um, I'm going to come straight out and ask you: uh, Was that a penalty? Uh, should the Brumbies have had a penalty there uh, just before Noah Lolaseo uh, attempted that drop goal that was, of course, charged down? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a penalty every day of the week. Well, well, you know, anyone that's questioning that it isn't just must look at an opening 10 minutes or the opening 20 minutes of any rugby game. And, and at that time, it's always a penalty. Um, stage fright, um, perhaps, did Ben O'Keefe not want to make a decision? I think he probably didn't. Um, eventually, the ball comes out, which will be what people will, you know, rest the defence on with Ben O'Keefe. Oh, you won the ball, but... The ball that was won by the Brumbies was scrappy, slow, untidy. You know, the suggestions of Luke Romano playing the ball on the ground as well. Uh, it's a penalty every day of the week. Now, whether or not Noah Lolaseo steps up and bangs that one over, who knows? They're hypotheticals, aren't they? But could they have potentially kicked the corner? They, you know, scored a couple of times from their rolling more. I can't imagine that the... the uh, that the Blues would have wanted to bring it down because of the possibilities of a um, uh, a penalty try even. So there's all sorts of hypotheticals about what could have happened. But, you know, people have, yes, not a lot of see missed one that maybe you'd hope that he kicks, generally speaking. But let's not forget, too, that he also iced a goal kick, a penalty against the French only about a year earlier uh, in that third test, I think, at Suncorp. So, um yeah, it bittersweet. It was an enthralling game. There's so much to pick apart. Um, and, you know, the last 60 seconds, obviously, because we see that that drop goal attempt by Lola Sio. And before we debate whether or not 
right option or wrong option. Noel Olesio has kicked a lot of field goals. People forget that. You know, I'm pretty sure it was in the Super Rugby AU final two years ago at Canberra, and I was there. He he kicked a field goal out of nowhere, and people were like, "Oh, hang on!" But he's got a you know a proven ability to to snap those goals and. You know, 37 seconds out from full time, though, you know, last kick or last play of the game. What do you think, Sam? Right play, wrong play? It made me think, uh, Christy, that there's two ways uh, to look uh, at this one. It made me think back to uh, GIO Stadium a few weeks ago in this match when the Blues were playing um, playing the Brumbies, of course, and uh, and Bowden Barrett kicks the, the drop goal there. Um, what well, was uh, clearly under advantage at that point, wasn't he? So... The Blues had been uh, awarded the penalty at that point and playing under advantage, and they take the, you know, the two or three more phases, whatever it was, to get up right in front of the sticks, and and Bodie takes the shot. Now, you know, had uh, the Brumbies, I think they probably could have gone two or three more even without the penalty. They were certainly finishing the stronger they had. There'd been a real momentum swing in that second half, hadn't there? Um, their way, and um, you know, it was going to be, uh, it was certainly a longer range shot than than what Bodie took a few weeks or so. A weeks ago, sorry. So perhaps uh, Noah could have, um, you know, uh, organised a couple more phases to get a little bit closer in. But um, you know, good on him for for having the courage to to step up and and take the shot. But um, just back on the actual ruck itself, I tell you what, it made me think. It reminded me actually of um, the uh, the twenty twenty Bledisloe uh, there in in Wellington, where uh, Paul Williams was in a similar situation. Uh, Reese Hodges memorable. Penalty attempt slams into the uh, the upright about two thirds of the way up. Might have gone over from about sixty five, I reckon. But of course, the ball bounces back, and, and TJ Perinara smartly manages uh, to not play it in an offside position. But I think about the the next ruck or maybe two rucks later, Big Tupu Vai uh, plays the ball. Uh, not only number one enters the ruck from the side, number two plays the ball with his hands, and number three was probably in an offside position before entering anyway. And and Paul Williams. Um, failed to uh, to award the penalty on that occasion. Now I could kind of have a little bit of of sympathy in that situation given the the dramatic finish of that match and what was going on and I think it finished up about eight and a half minutes of of overtime there at uh there at the yeah. cake tin. But on this occasion, I uh, just looking at it not only with with Luke Reimer over the ball and I tweeted that immediately after the game. I thought the Brumbies had a great crack, but um hard to to look past that penalty at the death. And as you mentioned I hadn't actually seen the big swatting arm there on the ground. Uh, Luke Romano, you said it was um, it uh, until probably about an hour and a half later. And someone, you know, sent me that vision as well. And, you know, that was a stone cold penalty as well. So look, I feel for the Brumbies. I feel for Dan McKellar after the match who, um, you know, I think basically said, uh, how did, did you guys not see that? You know, it was as clear as the nose on your face as the saying goes. And um yeah, a, a sad way for him to end, but um, you know, I think the Brumbies can be can be proud of, of what they went and did there and did everything but get the win. You're right, and we we I'll get to Dan McKellar in a moment. I'll, I'll go as far to say that that's the most biased, one-sided refereeing performance I think I've ever seen. Um, you think about the first half and Nick Watt continually played off the ball. At, at scrum half. Now the ball's not out of the ruck on half those occasions and, and the man playing, you know, there, you know, like the rule or not, the rule is you can't play the man, uh, the halfback there. And he just played continually right throughout the, the first half, three or four occasions. And it's no surprises that on one occasion, Nick White 
stays down. Now, whether or not that was high or not, we won't know because the broadcasters there. We didn't get a replay, did we? Yeah, indeed. The broadcasters have specifically not shown that vision. And I think that's a complete blight in the game. You know, no one really has held Sky Sports accountable there. That's shocking. And if that was to happen in a, a World Cup final or a Super Rugby final, we're going to see it this weekend between the Blues and the Crusaders, obviously. But, you know, that was despicable. And we saw that right throughout the match. Um, you know, it, it wasn't just there. You know, there was moments of uh, in the second half, I, I was very surprised that that uh, Andy Muirhead lands virtually on his head, driven into the ground. He's not just, you know... Uh, we've seen once or twice players get lifted and dropped. He was, in fact, driven into the ground and he somehow skates with a yellow card, the hooker. And then soon after, Tom Wright does stay down, fortunately being okay. But for the, ever, you know, for years, and we saw this with clearly throughout the Super Rugby season to date, but even Rob Balotini in the Wales Test last year, head-on-head contact is a red card now. And there weren't any mitigating circumstances. Tom Wright didn't slip over. In fact, he was driving through. Uh, It was surprising. We've heard nothing from New Zealand rugby, nothing from Sansa. Dan McKellar has every right to be filthy. Um, But nonetheless, an outstanding comeback by the Brumbies. Um, Great character showing. We'll get to more about that in a moment. But that was my read on what was a, a very curious, uh, entertaining, enthralling semi-final. That was a gripping contest, wasn't it? And particularly that that second half, you you really got the feeling that this wasn't, you know, one of those those brief matches at Eden Park where the Wallabies, you know, sort of play 10 or 15 minutes of decent rugby and, and maybe come away with a try when they should have had a couple. This was a, a team completely finishing over the top of the Blues, playing some excellent footy, the, the driving mall, I think probably on both occasions, they really had to work from it from the start, didn't it? It wasn't just a, a set and and really uh, the momentum was instant. They had to go to work and it just shows you the the absolute, you know, mall clinic that you get down there in Canberra under Dan McKellar and, and Laurie Fisher. And um, yeah, it was, it was hard not to just be, you know, completely heartbroken for them because um, it really felt like they'd done enough to win it now, of course, as you mentioned earlier, we can we can point back to, to Noah's penalty, sorry, uh, conversion miss earlier on and um, you know, goal kickers are going to miss them along the way clearly, but um, it was uh, yeah, it's uh, if you're a Brumbies fan and uh, I know there's, you know, there were plenty who gathered at Benny Alexander's uh, the dock down there in Canberra to watch. Um, I imagine there was some pretty, pretty filthy supporters um, with, uh, with how well their team had come back and then to be denied what clearly should have been a, a penalty, uh, an incredibly tough one to cop. Yeah, indeed. I, I, I should have said it was remiss of me to say, uh, not bringing it to the attention, you know, only a week earlier, Len Hickertow, who's the Wallaby starting outside centre, is rubbed out of the match, out of the semi-final for a very similar sort of moment, like, you know, head-eye contact. Um, there, there were a couple of moments in the game where I thought the Brumbies lost it. The first was, I think, about the 15th, 16th minute when they're held up over the line. And, of course, Tom Hooper drops the ball shortly after from the, the line drop kick. And that's a coach killer every day of the week. But I just didn't understand why knowing the rule as it is at the moment, unless you've got a Tanella Tupo or you're very confident that you're going to get over, you've got to shift it wide. They, they had so many numbers, the Blues sucked yep. around the ruck. Yes, it's slippery, but we saw 
we saw an Ray Simone who had one of his better games run straight over the top of Stephen Perifetta. And there was space out there that they could have they could have scored. And that was a huge, huge swing. I think it was 7-3 at the time, opportunity to go to 14-3. Uh, but the second moment is probably it took them about six minutes to score the try from the, the, the initial yellow card. That's, you know, they held up the, over the line with Tom Wright. Um, a couple of times, the Moors not quite getting there. Um, and we've, we've forgotten at this moment, Yudre Simone, I think it was Yudre Simone that managed to uh, make a latched effort with Bowden Barrett as he dived over the try line, which would have been a yep, yep. absolutely a match ceiling try. But, you know, there was a couple of moments there you, you go, mm, you've got to ice those ones. Absolutely. And uh, I think that the big thing that stood out for me in the first half with the Brumbies, as you mentioned, after that excellent start and and not um, getting that that second try so close to that would have taken them out to that that 14-3 lead. The, the thing that really stood out for me, the probably the, the one weakness in their game at the weekend was their their organization on the kick chase. Um, both of those blues tries um, came yeah. off the surging back, uh, sorry, off the back of surging kick returns. And if you just watch them back, there's not a flat line coming up there. It was very fractured. Um, the spacing was was pretty poor and, and it allowed, um, you know, the Blues to, to make the breaks through either Bodie or Perifetta and maybe might have even been AJ Lamb on one occasion as well. And and that got them on the front foot and we know how dangerous they are with that front foot ball and being able to string passes together and and really keep that momentum rolling. And next thing you know, you're down inside the five and, and Bodie's spinning and twisting and, and falling over the line to score. So, yeah, um, but a, apart from that, just, uh, you know, a, a brilliant crack from the Brums and, uh, you know, it's... It's going to be tough for them to watch on the final next week. They probably they might not even do it to themselves. Um, most a good chunk of them will be in Wallabies camp, of course. But um, a real uh, a real opportunity missed, and, and one that um, you know that you would hope that uh, that Stephen Larkham is able to come in next year and and really build on that um, going forward. Saying he you blokes were so close. Um, clearly, there's going to be a a change of in, environment there under Bernie moving forward. But he's a bloke who's coached there before and obviously has such a a storied history with the club as well. So interesting to see that transition period now for them ahead of next uh, super season. And they're fortunate that they've got guys like Laurie Fisher that are still going to be there. And Laurie Fisher's just been that that consistent voice right the way through. He knows the game like the back of his hand. Um, There was a couple of things to point out. Um, I think that the Brumbies have shown Australian rugby and the Wallabies how you win matches against New Zealand. You know, the All Blacks played a, sorry, the Blues played a very All Blacks kind of match, I think, where they love the counter-attack, they love turnover ball, um, they'll punish you, they'll take a penalty or two, and then they'll look for those tries. Um, but, but we saw when the Brumbies decided, no, we're going to, and we saw this last week against the Hurricanes too, um, when you keep it tight, when you keep the game structured, when you frustrate the New Zealand sides, they are vulnerable. And that was so clearly evident in that last half an hour where the Brumbies put competitive um, kicks in the air, made the outside backs or perhaps the 10 take catches uh, under the high ball um, in wet conditions. I, I think when Australian rugby tied uh, against New Zealand opposition tries to out New Zealand, New Zealand, they always just get left with egg on their face. And we saw it last year during the Bledisloe's matches. You know, it's almost like they get too confident 
and, and then their skills, unfortunately, just don't quite marry up to, to New Zealand opposition. Keep it tight, keep it structured. And is that why we've seen how many? Is it 15? How many in the Brumbies have made that, that Wallaby squad? I think it's 15. It's 15 off the top of my head, yep. It's a huge number for a 35 squad. You know, that's, that's, that's enormous. And you compare that to the Reds, I think seven and, you know, a few less from there with each of the respective sides, maybe six with the Waratahs, um, none with the Western Force, which you can understand Isaac Rodder would have been there had he not been injured. But, you know, this is going to be a, a side that should be playing more like a Dan McKellar Rumby side, particularly in the opposition 22, where, you know, it's test match rugby. And that has been the pillar of a lot of successful sides having a, a dominant set piece or particularly a, a very strong rolling ball, like it or not, it's here to play and you're going to get beaten unless you inflict some of those sorts of dark arts, which obviously Dan McAllister coaches very, very well. Well, it, it's the best in Super Rugby, really. The, the, there's no doubt about it. The, the Brumbies Mall has been for some time, and and you're right that they'd be mad not to, you know, embrace it largely as they did the. The 2015 World Cup check and and Poe used to be at the the back of that and um you know it's it should be such a, a simple transition if you, you keep the guys who are who are so central to that now I know you had Falau Fainger and your starting side I had him on the bench just a a little concern around his around his line out throwing but um clearly he's a a key part in that now whether he can be you know Dave Parecki who is equally you know directive at the back of the the Waratahs can, can slot in there with a little bit more accurate. We'll find out in the accurate throwing. We'll find out in a couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, it, it's got to be a, a real weapon for the Wallabies as well, hasn't it? Yeah, it does. And and he's a real uh, – I was told a couple of years ago that Steve Borthwick, the um, very uh, quickly emerging powerhouse coach in Europe, he's just led Leicester, turned them around from being cellar dwellers to first – um, and now into a, a premiership, premiership final. final. Yep. I, he tapped into Dan McKellar ahead of the 2019 World Cup and said, what are you doing with your rolling more? And Dan did offer some of his tips. Michael Checker, on the other hand, didn't. And, and at no stage did the Wallabies tap into Dan McKellar's immense pedigree when it comes to the rolling more. I would be surprised if, if they don't um, go to that throughout this English series because we know that England, generally speaking, have a, a very good set piece. Just before we move on to the Wallabies, mate, the other semi, of course, Crusaders getting around the Chiefs with a, uh, a Herculean defensive effort. Um, probably not how we thought this game might go. Um, the Chiefs just couldn't uh, find a way to, to break down the Crusaders and, and that was basically the difference there through much of the second half. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. But before we get to that... It, it, it didn't we see with Nick Berry with the incident in the first half um, with with uh, Pablo Matera? I think he was tackled, but um, uh, the inside centre his name escaped. Winter Bayer. I'm flabbergasted to how that is a yellow card when a player slips right at the point of contact. Basically, a player almost braces because they're not expecting for a someone to slip at the line. What did you think? Because I'm all for concussion. I think it's a pretty clear black and white. But in those sorts of moments where a player slips and reduces their body height by a good half a metre um, in a split second, tell me, Sam, how, how's that a yellow card? I, I didn't actually 
at the very most, I thought that's a penalty at the very most, given what, what was there. Well, and I think that you, you might have tweeted at the time. It's about feel, really, isn't it? And and this is an occasion where, you know, to the letter of the law, you can see how Nick got to, got to that decision. Sorry, but you've got to think, well, hang on. No, there's been a significant slip here. Um, to Pyre is there's a there's a slight bend at his hips. It was, you know, not a not your standard kind of collision as it was. So I agree, it was probably a a penalty. Um, we can see what this is, fellas. We can all agree. Yep, this probably doesn't need to be escalated any further. Um, penalty, move on. So uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you know my stance on this. So I'm I'm as confused as as anyone. And, and it probably you know if you go back through all of our podcasts through this season how often we've been talking around cards. And I think Dave Rennie said it again to you and I um, at the, uh, the opening of um, the SFS there on, uh, on Thursday, or sorry, the, uh, the lineup of events around um, what's to come later in the year. And we're both looking forward to getting there for the Springboks game uh, in September around, you know, just the, the yellow and red card. Sorry, it was actually on Stan Sport um, around Lenny, Lenny Kitao's tackle and, um, you know, I've got great fears for, for next year's World Cup that, um, you know, these these cards are going to they're going to steal the show and we're going to be talking and there's going to be probably multiple games where um, not only you and I are left scratching our heads, but but everyone around the world. So um, yeah, nothing, nothing continues. The problem is that I'm, I'm not shocked anymore. And when something like that happens and I feel like, yeah, I, I might have a a reasonable understanding of, of what's going on now, having watched a, a fair bit of rugby in my time and, uh, and certainly enough under these, you know, the, the head contact processes it has been for, for a few years now. Um, I, I've just, I couldn't back myself, you know, I wouldn't be putting any money where my mouth is and saying, yep, I know what this is. I know what that is because I think more often than not, I'm, I'm probably getting them wrong. So what chance does the average man or woman on the street have? We're hearing commentators, and there's two schools, and we'll move off the subject in a moment. We're hearing commentators, two schools of thoughts. There's one that has played the game and doesn't necessarily like it. They think that, you know, this is just a rugby collision. Now, I disagree with that, and I think commentators need to change their um, voice um, to educate the, the, the viewer why um, there is a card being shown, and that's particularly for the real upright tackles. But, you know, you can't. You can't referee um, or officiate to someone who slips the last moment. And that's the real big issue. Like Quintipire there hasn't actually come from a million miles away and he's always high. He's making a tackle. He's basically a stagnant. The bloke slips at the last second. I think it needs to, you know, you can't write this into law necessarily, but but we keep hearing from commentators as well say, oh, you know, such and such has made this decision because it's going to advance their, you know, World Rugby is going to be happy with them because they've gone through the correct procedures and so therefore World Rugby will continue to promote them and give them bigger games. You know, I, I think that needs to be changed considerably and it, and it needs to be changed to a, this is the law, however, we want you to referee on feel and if a player like what happened on the weekend, like a Pablo Matera, slips at the last moment, and this isn't this isn't mitigation, this is more than that. This is an unforeseen that no one could foresee. It goes okay. Such and such couldn't actually predict that at all. Yes, he's he's not bent completely at the hips. Yes, he's still a bit too high. But the opponent running to him was also very high who slipped at the last second. And there needs to be just a bit more feel um, because we saw that 
you know, shortly after Pablo Matera, in fact, gets a yellow card um, and he actually ends up getting sent off for a team yellow card followed by high contact. And, you know, rugby is lending itself and putting itself into a spin. And so are we by talking about this every week and probably those that are listening. But it needs to be solved sooner rather than later because eventually the back has got to stop um, and fuel needs to be better understood. And with that, I think no more talk about referees this week. Yes, we might have to uh, put a ban on ourselves one week moving forward, mate. Sadly, I, I, uh, I've got great fears what might happen when, uh, when the two hemispheres come together next month um, because then we're getting even more uh, interpretations out there. And um, God help us when that rolls around. Uh, mate, let's move on then. Oh, actually, so, of course, uh, Blues hosting the Crusaders back at Eden Park for the inaugural Super Rugby Pacific Crown next Saturday um, as a neutral. You know, it should be a, a good game to sit back and, and enjoy from from that perspective. Um, just give us a tip on on that one. Did you are the Blues suddenly vulnerable? Oh, I think the Crusade, the blueprints there for the Crusaders if they want to take the game. I think the Blues will be better knowing how to defend those sorts of situations. It's always a slippery sort of thing, um, a banana peel kind of game, isn't it? A semi final when you're fourteen games unbeaten. I'm predicting the Blues, but it wouldn't surprise me. Obviously, if the Crusaders win this, they They've got to hit them hard at the, at the set piece, at the rolling wall. Um, can Nepalolala do what he did on the weekend? I'm, I'm not sure he can back that up again. That was, you know, he, he was the player of the match, in my opinion, destroyed the scrum. And, and where, what you think of that, it doesn't really matter at this stage. The Brumbies were blown off the park at the scrum. So, yeah, down to my head, I, I, my... Head says that it should be the Crusaders. My heart says the Blues. On that, I'm just going to – not that we've got any stake in it, uh, any meat in it. I'm, I'm going to go for the for the Blues. I think the Crusaders might have an upset in them uh, heading to, to Eden Park. As you say, I think there's a – might just be a, a few holes. Of course, Dalton Puppley might be a chance to come back for the Blues, which would be a, a, hu- a huge in yeah. up front. Um, interesting point around uh, – uh, sorry, uh, Nepo Lalala there. That might, we might come to that and what that might mean for, for James Slipper perhaps in the, the first test and, and whether suddenly Angus Bell might well be the man in the number one jersey. I think we both had him starting, uh, if memory serves in our 23s last week. But the Wallaby squad, of course, uh, unveiled on Sunday morning, 35 players. Um, I think, you know, having had the the three Giddo Law picks, um, worst kept secret in Aussie rugby, and then confirmed to us on on Thursday, of course, at that, uh, that SFS uh, press that I mentioned earlier. Um, I guess the, you know, once we learned that Isaac Rodder's um, injury, foot injury is a little bit worse than originally feared, and he could be gone for some time, uh, the other two big ones were Reese Hodge in the backs, missing missing out, and, and Fraser McWright, though, when you think a little bit more about that one, it's, it's probably understandable, despite, you know, I was talking previously around them, the need to get him some rugby at that level. He's going to get that now, just in a different scenario, in the fact that the, the Australia A uh, team uh, or squad of 30 will be named on Wednesday, I think, so expect to see him potentially even captain of that. Um, but, mate, uh, I, I guess you, you just your general reaction to the announcement, um, not really uh, anything out of the ordinary there, was there? No, not at all. And, and David, you know, Emarks hinted that by saying there weren't really real surprises, and there wasn't. There was no bolter of sorts, perhaps Nick Frost, but when you consider 
that Isaac Rotter wasn't there, um, listed a three-month injury, uh, which will take him, what, through to the middle of September at least. Um, uh, that, that's a, a bit of a blow, but I think that the Wallabies can, can manage that. I'm not surprised by one single selection there. And, and you know, I'd written previously that I thought those props and those hookers would be there. I'd you know, been told that Pone was going up there and that they were not so certain about Taniela Tupo. And Dave Rennie hinted more on that on Sunday after being a bit more optimistic on Thursday, as, as you might remember. So, oh, look, the... Reese Hodge, I think he's a guy that's been dependable, uh, versatile, Mr. Fix-It for the Wallabies for a long time, but his, his first half of the season was poor. Mm. And Tom Wright, on the other hand, who he was probably, you know, between Tom Wright, Sully, Vunavalu and, and Reese Hodge, you could only get two. And I think he's gone with form there because Reese Hodge wasn't as good as, as Tom Wright throughout the season. He was superb, had his best season. Will be desperately unlucky if he doesn't make the Wallabies 23, which I don't think he will. But you know, his season has been so good that it's almost if if Marika Corabetti is not there, Tom Wright is probably playing. But does Jordan Bataille, you know, start? Does where does Suli Bonavalu come into the mix? There's a lot of options there now, and it's. It is probably the best squad that he's named. There's no Skelton, there's no Arnold, and both of them are fit. And but you know they're finishing up seasons with respective French clubs. So I can long long seasons too. Long seasons. So it's the right move not bringing them back. That one of them will come into the mix for the World Cup. I am certain of. I think they definitely need more meat on the bones in the second row, either to start or to finish. Um, and I think it's a good squad. I think it's a great squad. And I think Wallabies and Australian fans should be should be looking at this quite optimistically. When you think that guys like Hunter Paisami and Izzy Parisi are unlikely to make a 23, that, that tells you a little bit about the back pedigree. Um, no Noel Aceo who's probably going to miss out. And he's a guy that's just led the Brumbies to a semi-final, to multiple wins, probably should have led them to a semi-final win. Like... There's some good players going to be missing out on this Wallaby side, and we haven't said that for a long time, but that shows you if you have a good crop of youngsters and you manage and you manage to keep those older players, uh, a lot of good things can happen. What about uh, Kirtley? Did you get a, uh, an answer out of Dave yesterday, Christy, around what exactly his, his timeline is for a return? Are they looking at rugby championship? Is there the chance that we might not see him? at all over the next few months. I mean, how, how serious is this, this injury? And as you mentioned, he's certainly been holidaying from what we can see on, on social media recently. And I think the, about the 20th of February and doing some research recently uh, was about his last game for, for Russing there in, in Paris. So I mean, what's exactly the, the plan with him moving forward? Did you get anything from Dave on that yesterday? Yeah. So I understand he'll be back in about the middle of the month, the next month that he is. Uh, perhaps before that, but he's not going to come into any calculations. Whether or not he comes back into the rugby championship calculation will a couple of things. It might depend on injury, it might depend on how his um, you know, rehabilitation goes, how he's looking fitness-wise, how he settles back into Australia. I think he'll come back into the rugby championship mix. The big question for me is... Uh, 
Tom Banks didn't do everything that was perfect on the weekend. You know, he didn't doesn't swear up. And from my understanding, while these officials don't necessarily think he swears up nearly enough. And a, and a classic example is that is when he gets tackled, banged into touch on the weekend. Had to head back in infield, didn't he? Just just angle in slightly. He angles in or takes one step earlier. He allows and he makes Bowden Barrack make a decision. Who's, he, who's not a great defender, Bodie, and all his attacking prowess. He's, he's been run over the top of plenty of times. He's been run over the top of, indeed. And uh, so there are questions still around Tom Banks. And, and I think that if he wasn't to have a brilliant series against England, that they might turn to the next fullback option reasonably quickly, knowing that he's going to Japan. So that will certainly bring back a, a Kurtley Beal. The other news today that, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, the, um, or Monday, Monday afternoon, yeah. Rather, is that, you know, Swilly Bonavalu will re-sign for one year. Um, a one-year extension keeps him through to the World Cup. It in part explains why he's in this Wallaby squad, whether or not we see him against England remains to be seen. But it wouldn't surprise me that if he gets some game time, maybe in the third test potentially, or perhaps at home in Brisbane, um, off the bench maybe. Uh, he's a guy that you look at the physical specimen that he is and the attributes that he offers. His last three weeks or four weeks for the Reds, he shows that he can run over people, that he can score tries, finish tries, can be great in the air. Um, watch this space about Sunni Bulavalu. How much, uh, I guess, Gravita does um, Andrew Kellaway's season carry from last year, Christy? Is, uh, you'd, you'd have to think a bit, wouldn't you, Sam? Well, that made, and I guess, you know, as you're just talking around Sully there, is that, um, you know, you, you mentioned back to, I've been reading your piece for Fox today around Izzy Falau sort of coming in and um, in that Lions series in that famous test in, in Brisbane uh, to kick off there and, and scoring a double, and I, I just wonder whether whether Dave's prepared to roll the dice on him in in that regard. But um, I mean, it'd be hard on Kellaway, wouldn't it? Rookie of the year last year, um, of you know, what was it, seven or eight tries? Um, showed his finishing ability, you know, right across the paddock. Um, ran great support angles, great support lines. Um, you know, you, you got to think that he's he's almost a lock as equally as as Corabetti is on on the other wing. I would think so. I have no doubt that Sully Vunabalu could start. I'm that confident. You know, this guy is a premiership winner, two-time premiership winner. He started in massive games, scored big tries and big moments, intercepts, length of the field tries. And we've seen what he's done for the Reds in the last three, four weeks, as I say. He scored a try against uh, the Blues was uh, after a, you, you highlighted a few weeks ago, a couple of times, maybe running too high into the defence. But, you know, he managed to get offloads away but his last 60 was superb. And similarly against the Crusaders, had some really great moments. I think Callaway will start because I, Dave Brennie's big on trust, big on culture. Um, and someone like a Callaway was close to, you know, rookie of the year last year, um, prolific try scorer. If he's in a Brumbies team, you know, does he look different? This year, and you could ask the same question about Reese Hodge, but Reese Hodge was fullback and he was dropping high balls. You didn't see that from Andrew Kellaway, did you? And you know, he missed the first half of the season too. Did did Kellaway? So well, I think Kellaway will start, but it wouldn't surprise me if not before too long you see a Sully Bonabalu get thrown into it because 
as some of all of his officials have told me, he's what they think is the best profile, best athletic profile that's come through Shane Rugby, which is a huge, huge rap. Absolutely. And we, and we know that there are going to be, you know, probably a, a small few ins and outs there for certainly the first two weeks of the, the rugby championship when the Wallabies go to Argentina for um, a, uh, you know, a huge clash here against the other. It's not your regular one, is it, where you're playing a Bledisloe and a Bledisloe. This is like, we know that Marika Corobetti got nursed through for quite a while, but he got, you know, he didn't have to wait two seasons, did he? He just was with the Wallabies for a while, for a long time, stayed on the field fit, eventually gets brought off the bench against Argentina and doesn't look back, scores two tries in his first starting match in, in Bloemfontein. Yeah, uh, it's it's going to be interesting moving forward. I mean, I guess, mate, a, a word on um, the A program then, as we, we've been speaking a little bit about over the last few weeks. It clearly is going to be a, a brilliant opportunity to get some valuable top-level rugby into into Fraser McBride. And, um, you know, I think you said perhaps you think Ryan Lonergan could even potentially captain that side at, at number nine. We've got, you know, the young Waratahs, Ed Med, Noongani Dewasi, uh, Dylan Peach, you think that Lalakai Fakedi probably lines up in the center there as well, yeah. um, up front. Uh, you know, Will Harris and um, you know who who else there and the, Billy Pollard at, at hooker. You think I've got massive raps on him. I think he's yeah, going to be. We're, a- we're going to see Harry Johnson Holmes at tight head. He, he'll be training with the Wallabies come Thursday, but you know we know that he missed a good chunk of the last portion of the year and was probably found out in that quarterfinal. Just not enough, you know recent match practice probably rushed back to get in but was maybe found out but the Wallabies are really impressed by what they're saying so he'll be there as well um you know Ryan Smith I imagine will probably play in the second row um you know they've they've got some good back row strength you know Liam Wright could be there could he captain the side the reason why I don't think that Fraser McWright will is because I think you know from my understanding um yeah, Fraser, I think they, they need to leave him alone just so that he can play rugby. Oh, he's well. um, number one. But two, it, was he perhaps, you know, all the suggestions that he is a, a wallet with captain waiting, is that maybe overdone because he was just in charge of a, a 20s program um, that did really well at the World Cup? You know, how much is that actually the leadership of the a 19, 20-year-old, or how much is that just to being a, a star player, which he was? My understanding is Ryan Lonigan is highly thought of by Australian rugby officials, particularly Dave Rennie and the Wallabies. Um, they wouldn't have any hesitation in throwing him in the Wallabies at this stage, I wouldn't think. Clearly, there's an embarrassment of riches there in the nine jerseys. So Lonigan's a bit older too. He's probably 24 now. So I think he will be, be the skipper. Interesting, Christy. We almost uh, caused uh, an interstate war that wasn't state of origin last week by, um, you know, suggesting Harry Wilson might well might be better served by heading to to Fiji as as part of this Australia A program. Now that hasn't been the case clearly, and I don't think you know we, we in no way do we begrudge him his spot in in the wider Wallaby squad. We were just merely suggesting that perhaps um, he might not be in the twenty three and. If, uh, if these guys remain fit who are in the, the back row and certainly, you know, the way Dave Rennie was talking around Jed Holloway's versatility on the Thursday, I'm not sure if he repeated that further on on yeah. Sunday, but yeah. um, 
he in was addition, in addition Pete, Pete Sarma, his versatility off the bench. Absolutely. So there's the coverage there um, in, you know, across the back row. And of course, Jed being able to cover lock in the back row, certainly number six, um, six eight, as, as Dave was saying. So, you know, uh, it was great to see people getting engaged on, on social media around, around Harry. And, you know, as we, as we said before, he's going to have a long career for the Wallabies, Harry Wilson. There's absolutely no doubt about that, but um, it will be interesting to see whether he does get a chance through this, through this England series. And you and I might have it wrong. He may well be. I, I asked that question of Dave um, on Thursday around whether he, you know, he still sees a possibility of playing both Harry and, and Rob Valentini in the same back row. And he said, yep, I haven't written that off completely. So, you know, it's, it's one to keep an eye on, uh, even though you and I might not think it's uh, perhaps the, the best combination. I think it's smart from Dave Rennie. You know, you don't want to rule things off the table, do you? Because you start to not just segregate and sideline the rugby community, but the players itself. Um, good from, from Dave Rennie, I'd think. Look, I, I reckon if Rob Valentini's not playing, then you, you play Harry Wilson. But at the moment, Valentini gets 40 minutes on the weekend, which is a big thing for him. Um, and, you know, that will give... Australian rugby officials' confidence that he'll be able to get through that, uh, you know, a first test because there's a long lead up now. There's, just, you know, a good couple of weeks. And it's probably the one benefit of the Brumbies being knocked out is now Dave Rennie's got a fair bit longer with his men and a fair portion of them, you know, 15 of them. Um, you know, imagine bringing those 15 into a camp a week later. Um, you can understand now why Dave Rennie was a bit concerned by, and he said a couple of times, oh, you know, if they get through the final, we only have, you know, about a week or nine days with them leading up to it. You can now understand why he was concerned because half the team is going to be made up of Brumbies players. Absolutely. Uh, so, yes, just under well, under three weeks now until that first test. Can't wait to to get over to Perth uh, for that one. A um, couple of things before we go, mate. Obviously, uh, Wallaroos have played two matches of their Pacific uh, four series um, had a really good crack against the, the black ferns last week uh, led at halftime in terrible conditions. Um, the, the forwards really aimed up and, and scored a, a well-executed uh, drive uh, pick and drive try there. Um, and then a good fight back yesterday, sorry, yesterday against the, the Americans. Uh, they've, they wrap up their, their series against Canada um, valuable games, but um, probably just shows where they are in the, in the pecking order of, of women's rugby elite right now. Um, but these games are going to be hugely valuable uh, with, you know, more warm-up games to come, uh, the two home and away games against New Zealand as well before the World Cup. So uh, great to see they're, they're getting some game time and, and certainly been have been right in these contests. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we, we heard some comments just recently. I think Tim Walsh uh, saying that he'll allow, you know, players from the Sevens program to move over if he needs to and, Someone like Ashani Williams will be someone yep. like future in that. Um, you know, they're, they're a squad that will continue to develop at this early stage. We've, we've seen enough to go that these guys, these women, are, are showing um, you know, certain elements of the game and fighting characteristics, which are often at this stage what you want to see more than the polish, because that'll come. You know, New Zealand were far from being polished under Wayne Smith just a couple of weeks ago, um, a week and a half ago. So, yeah, not not the results that they want, and perhaps that doesn't continue to build the momentum that they want, but it's very early doors still. Um, 
and you know speaking of, about across the ditch uh, as well uh, a New Zealand squad announcement with the All Blacks also naming their squad for this uh, series against Ireland what stood out to you there Oh, mate, as the nine, it was, you know, it was the ascension of both um, Falau Fakatava and, and, and Finley Christie and, and what we've seen potentially, or probably, um, you know, it's very barring some injuries, which of course remain a, are always going to be a, a risk. Um, you know, poor old, well, not poor old, uh, Brad Weber and, and TJ Perinara, the, the ones to miss out. And then we know that Aaron Smith is going to start the majority of the games because he is so vital to the way they play. But um yeah, just uh, I, I don't think, you know, you could have resisted the way Falau has come off the bench for the Highlanders this season. The energy he brings, um, he, he plays all over the paddock. He, he can bounce off tackles. He can get on the ball. He's He's got a great dummy and great speed. And, and then Finley Christie, you know, he, he got his crack last year for the All Blacks to, to start with and continues to be, you know, he's a bit of an energizer bunny himself, really. He pops up all over the paddock for the Blues and has been central to their success. He was, um, I think, in the lead up to... Maybe the first try on the weekend with that dummy first from from Lamb and then picked up the ball through and ensured that movement kept going. So, you know, great to see both of those guys get a run in. And you do wonder, I'm not sure it's the end of Brad Weber, but to me, TJ, he's come back from Japan and he just hasn't been the same player, I don't think, before he left. Um, he's been a wonderful servant for the All Blacks and, of course, so central to their Morty um, culture and the Harker and everything. But I think maybe we might just have seen the last of of TJ. Uh, otherwise, big Peter Gus, so cool. I mean, how could you not go past him? Um, you know, right from that yeah. right from that opening week, we've been talking about him. I did think that he might, you know, miss out, um, but perhaps he's um, the beneficiary of that uh, that injury to uh, to Ethan Blackadder. Oh, you'd have to think so. Yeah, and it's a great story, Peter Gus, all the time. He makes you happy just looking at the. He block. does big smile. Yeah, how he plays the game, he speaks really well. He's he's been a a great player for a couple of years, keeps getting better, and he's just demanded now his, his inclusion. So, so well done. You're right. The, the halfbacks is what stood out. But I've been saying it for quite a while now. We've both been saying it. There are – you look you look at that squad, don't you, and you go, hmm, who's starting? You know, what is the makeup of that team? And Roger Tuovashashek is probably the other one that stands out there, uh, an inclusion there that – of course, the, the NRL former star, and, and he was a former star, Dalian medalist, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, would, do they start with Quintapai? Probably, perhaps they do think at, so. at, at 12. But oh, I just think that if you're going a Bodie Barrett potentially at 10, um, who, who's your 13? I just, uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if, if the Blues, from a continuity perspective, you, you've kind of got to make your mind up almost now is who you think your 10 is particularly and build from that. At the moment, we're not quite sure, are we? I, I still think Bowden Barrett is, is one of the world's best players, two-time world best player of the year. So, uh, you know, we're definitely not off the mark there. But does he start at 10? Does he start at 15? Or is he a utility player? For me, he's still the 10. He's still the most damaging, threatening player going around. His pace is just something that um, is unparalleled. Even though Richie Moanga is very quick, I think the the thing that stands out about Bowden is he sniffs it. He he can see the game ahead of him. And whilst Richie might be just as quick, sometimes that intuition about where the ball's going and how to seize the moment stands out. And that's why I'd be going Bodie. But there's massive decisions to be made right across that team. And yes, they've got. 
talent abundance and abundance of talent right the way through, littered through, but serious decisions to make and a coach that three-quarters of New Zealand don't think should be there. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, congrats to Stephen Perifetta as well. Uh, you know, yeah, well said. Well said. In, entirely deserving is his, his call-up. He's been, you know, as we were talking about the other week around the Blues, he's been so central uh, to their, their winning run this year and, um, you know, kicking goals as well. He's, uh, I reckon he's probably kicking up above 80%, you'd have to think. Um, so, yeah, well done to, uh, to Stephen. But, uh, mate, yeah, some intriguing selection meetings ahead across the ditch and, uh, and equally uh, on this side as well. And, uh, you know, we, we, we won't entirely shift focus to the test season yet. We've got one more super game to go, of course, and, and Richie and, and Bodie to go head-to-head there for maybe even a winner-takes-all at, at number 10. Uh, in terms of performances there. So going to be uh, an interesting sidebar for the for the final on Saturday. Yeah, and perhaps at the fullback jersey too, because albeit whilst I think Will Jordan deserves to be the fullback, it does, it does make you wonder about the continuity idea. You know, Finlay Christie, 9, Barrett, 10, uh, Roger, 12, Rico, 13, and now you've got a Stephen Perifetta in the team in the squad as well. You know, is Ian Foster potentially going to go, no, this Blues rock star team, I've seen enough to go, we're going to back you in and with a more of a Crusaders forward pack perhaps with one or two from the Blues or, or from wherever. Wouldn't surprise me if that's the reason why a couple of those guys have nudged their way in in front of a, a Brad Webber or a, a TJ Perinara because I know that Dave Rennie, having spent years with Brad Webber, rates him highly and... Uh, I dare say that if, if Brad Webber's on this side of the ditch, he, he probably sweeps his way into these nines, even though Dave thinks he's got a, the, you know, three or four of the best in, in the world at the moment. Absolutely. Uh, fascinating few weeks ahead, mate. Uh, thanks again for your time from Brizzy. Uh, enjoy the fights up there this week. Uh, big Justice Hooney and, and Jai, Jai Apatia, or no? It's a month away. Or so, but yeah, Joe Goodall. Joe Goodall, thank you. Vegas, yeah. So, uh, yes, uh, mate, um, hopefully you're close enough to get a bit of blood and sweat uh, ringside and um, we, shall, uh, we shall talk again post-Super Rugby final, I guess, and, uh, and we'll be uh, even a step closer to the Wallabies uh, first test against England. So thanks again for your time, mate, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll speak soon. Yeah, can't wait. Long build-up and, and keep an eye out on the English Premiership final as well. No har- um, Harlequins, but Danny Kerr back in the England squad ahead of a Barbarians match, which is intriguing in itself. Well done to him. Uh, look forward to potting next week. And a couple of Aussies in the, the Leicester Tigers. So uh, one uh, interesting sidebar there as well. Uh, thanks, everyone. Of course, um, we'll probably put uh, this will be out across all social media, including a vid and Uh, We'd love to see the similar engagement to last week. Uh, Rip and tear, and uh, we'll talk to you uh, in a week's time.